What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. On this week's episode of the podcast, Adam, me, the person that is speaking to you, is telling Drew, the person that is listening to me, speaking to you, about one of the most infamous characters in American soccer history. America! I'm not going to say the other words. That's right. We're going back to the old US of A, baby. Salute the flag and eat your hot dogs. This is Deadball Brothers. Welcome to Deadball Brothers, a weekly podcast about soccer and history with a healthy dose of stupidity and a part of Blue Wire Podcasts. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We made Still it. Still are. Week two of not being fired yet. Mama, we made it. Let's Heck get yeah. it. Uh, 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 uh. We dancing. I am everybody's least favorite athletic writer, Adam Whitaker Snavely, joined as always by my real life brother. Drew Snavely. And I don't have anything to say yeah. about Manchester United today. They crush Tranmere. Wow. Wow. Ooh, Tranmere Rovers are decimated by yeah. Jesse Lingard got his first goal of the season. Oh my gosh. He really did. <laughs> he so did. He really did that. And then we also lost to Burnley 2-0. So a lot has happened since we last recorded. It feels very much like Ole is trying to save his job by winning the FA Cup. I literally just said that on yeah. my friend's podcast I was just on, Fantasy Soccer FC. Ooh, go, go check him out if you want if, to. If you want. Uh, yeah, I, I was saying the same exact thing. He is, seems like he's putting all of his stock in the FA Cup. Right. But with all the results that he's getting in the league, you'd expect any other manager to be fired by now. It seems like Woodward and Nick Lazers are content and going to ride this one out with Ole. So it makes sense in the sense that he is a club legend. Yeah. It must be said. Um even if he was a club le- legend because he was like the ultimate super sub for forever. Like Ole was never the the like the starter. Yeah. He's yeah, he's yeah. not he's not the same as like a Ryan Giggs or a Paul Scholes or a, a whoever. Yeah. Robin Van Persie for a time. But you don't get the nickname Babyface Assassin Babyface for doing assassin. nothing. Yeah. No, he definitely did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, Poch is just there, sitting in the Poch wings, waiting. Come on, there. man. Just waiting, L- man. Let's make it happen. Uh, Why not? Man. Erling Holland scored two more goals. He is still <laughs> he is still scoring goals. He has five goals in 57 minutes of Bundesliga play. And there's uh, some questionable uh, liking of Ooh, tweets on Twitter is, from him. There so. there, it got yeah. cleaned up so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Erling Holland, who is the teenage sensation that Borussia Dortmund signed, um, it was discovered that he had liked a ton of tweets from... Donald Trump and people saying, I stand with Donald Trump and all this stuff. 
And it was, first of all, it was interesting because it was all very, like, America-specific things. Erling Holland is Norwegian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and has lived in Austria for the past couple of years, uh, playing for Salzburg and now in Germany. So that was a little bit weird, but the whole thing was kind of like, well, he definitely supports this this kind of alt-right movement, it seems like. And then those tweet likes just vanished. Disappeared. And it feels like either... Erling Holland has a little sense of shame and or cares about what his money is or Borussia Dortmund quickly cleaned those up because Borussia Dortmund play in front of 80,000 people every week that like to unfurl banners frequently that say refugees welcome. Yeah. And that's typically, you know, not what Donald Trump does. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. In fact, I'd say polar opposite. Yeah. Not in a lot of ways. Not a great look, uh, but I think Holland will have the final say as far as his his views. Yeah, at at the very least, like uh, it's kind of like kind of like ugh, cool, but also ugh, as a supporter, um, awesome to see. Like, oh wow, this this signing really hit. Um, not awesome to see, but that, at what cost? At what cost? Yeah, <laughs> I think that at least in some respect, I am pleased that he as a player is fine at least he hides it at least he's not becoming jeff cameron yeah i guess but you take one (laughs) look at that kid there's some virtue in it i know and you're like "Ah." he looks like he was pumped out of a nazi (laughs) youth movement i know it okay i get it yeah yeah. <sighs> Anyways, this isn't a podcast isn't about Erling Holland or Dortmund or Manchester United. It's not. We're here to talk about soccer history. We're here to talk about some soccer history. And we're we're back in the the great old US of A for this one. It has been a while. What was the last American soccer story that we did? Did we ever do one? Have we done one? I don't know. Uh, we talked about the Gold Cup a little bit, but I don't think we Oh, right. Okay. So we've been in we've been in the Caribbean twice. Yeah, but we haven't had a we haven't actually talked about wow that is that is the a shocking realization that is happening in real time right now and here we are about to launch a mini series about the USA and we haven't done a story about the USA well Drew today I'm gonna give you about a story about the USA we're about to change that we're about to change all that right now so on April 26th 1945 America was a very different place yes. World War II was still happening, although it was only like six-ish months from finally coming to a close. At the, this was the point where we're like, oh, we're definitely winning this yeah, kind of thing. It's yeah. just like they're on the ropes and then trying to make it difficult for it to end, all that stuff. McDonald's was still a small locally owned restaurant that wasn't yet known for speed or franchising. Nice. And ABC was only two years old. Wow. Go ABC. And in Queens, New York, a child was born unto us. Jesus. Charles Gordon Blazer, or Chuck, as he was known throughout his life. We're talking about Chuck Blazer today, baby. Chuck Blazer. You remember Chuck Blazer? No. You don't remember Chuck Blazer? No, oh my gosh. Wow. This is going to be a good one for you then, my friend. I'm ready. I feel like you're going to know. You're, I feel like you might just have forgotten the name, but you will know who this is. 
yeah. shortly. Okay. And and other people will know who this is, but uh, buckle up, my friend, because you are in for a ride. I hope nobody revokes my soccer fandom. No, nah, it's fine. It's fine. Card. Don't worry about because it. Because I don't, don't know who it. he is. Chuck Blazer grew up as a middle-class Jewish kid in New York. And from the get-go, there wasn't much that was interesting about him. <laughs> okay. Most of his classmates in high school, uh, speaking to Ken Bensinger of BuzzFeed, didn't really remember him at all. Although he was apparently in a band for a couple months playing the tenor saxophone, and he was a hall monitor in high school. Yo, I played the tenor sax I as know well. You did. So you... that's that's really cool that we can connect on on that level. Uh, you didn't do any of the other things that Chuck Blazer did, um, and you'll understand why soon. All right, but all that stuff is pretty boring. After college and grad school and into the 70s and 80s, Chuck Blazer was wholly an opportunist. He was a guy that made his business selling anything he could. At one point, he was the at the forefront of the fad of the pins of this yellow smiley face. Let's say, have a nice day. Yeah. Yeah, he was one of the first people who sold those. Wow. And that was kind of his thing. Whatever fad he could latch onto, anything that he saw had, that had potential for growth, he, he tried to do that. He would have these big swings of, I'm employed, I'm incredibly successful, I am unemployed kind of thing. That was his kind of business. Also in the late 70s, his son began to play soccer, and he became a soccer dad. Oh. As, as many, many people have in the past i have to admit i'm not a soccer dad yet you're not a soccer dad although you do have a hat that says carnegie mellon dad on it yeah i love that hat <laughs> it's one of my favorites shouts out carnegie mellon now his son playing soccer seems fairly innocuous but in 1976 there were not many people playing organized soccer in the united states some estimates said that the youth player pool of the organized soccer divisions in the united states was less than 100,000 people total, which might be the case for organized soccer. It seems to me that that number might not include a lot of kids that were not, as the French would say, les white boys and girls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it feels like, I, heard, I read that number and I was kind of like, hmm... I feel like there was a lot more people in America that were playing soccer at that time. They just weren't Caucasian. Yeah. That seems very likely. Yeah, probably. Chuck soon became the coach of his son's team, even though he had never played soccer, which is so American. Holy crap. That's that's a... I can think of so many parents in Bath, New York, that became soccer coaches that had absolutely no idea what yeah, they were I was, doing. I was going to say, that's a top-tier... Soccer dad move in America. Oh yeah, absolutely. Getting becoming your coach, your son's youth coach, even though you have no idea anything about the game. They have a lot of knowledge about football, and so they try to translate or that. baseball or baseball, and yeah. they try to translate that to soccer. Mm -hmm. uh, you just have your classic dad sayings. Oh, kick like, it, rub, rub some dirt in it. Yeah, uh, run, run, <laughs> run faster. Come on, ref. Whoever has the whoever has the most guts is gonna win this game. Yeah, <laughs> gutty. <laughs> Chuck was coaching with no experience. He soon realized, however, that he much preferred the organizational side of things. 
and quickly rose through the ranks of local soccer. He became entrenched in the youth soccer scene north of New York City, where he lived, so like baby upstate. People, what people in New York refer to as as upstate, like Westchester. Yeah, that's not upstate. Like very immediate upstate. Yeah, yeah, that's where they were. He became entrenched in the youth soccer scene north of New York City, and by the eighties, he was a part of the Eastern New York State Soccer Association, or ENSA. As I like to say. Oh, that's a that's a great acronym. Yeah, it's a, really? it really rolls right off the top. I was going to say the same thing. And here's where we get to Chuck Blazer's first major coup. Some might call it a swindle. Some might call it a shrewd business move. But it was consistent with Blazer's MO his whole life. He saw an opportunity, and he took it. At the time, the United States Soccer Federation existed, but it didn't really matter. Much like the United States national team. <laughs> In its current state. <laughs> At the time, but also right, right now. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It didn't have any money. Like, any money. Any sway. It, it didn't look like it even knew what it wanted to do with a national soccer team. Question for you, Drew. Yes. Would you like to guess how many games the United States men's national team played in 1982 in 1983. So over a two-year span. Over a two-year span. How many games did they play? I'm going to guess it's a pretty low number the way that you're framing this. So I'm going to guess they played two games. You are exactly correct. Oh, yes. They played one game. I mean, that's terrible. But... In 1982 and one game in 1983. Wow. Think about how many games the United States played this last year. You had... Two, like in 2019, you had two games in January, you had a game in March, you had two games in June, uh, you had CONCACAF Nations League, and the Gold Cup was this year. Yeah. So you had one, two, three, four, five, six games in the Gold Cup, so that takes it to ten. You had CONCACAF Nations League, which was, they were in a group, so they played four more games. Fourteen, they had a couple of friendlies in there. They played between 14 and 20 games yeah. in 2019. In 1982, they played one game. Look and in 1983, they played one game. That is crazy. That's what I'm talking about when I say that it didn't look like they knew what to do with a national team. Yeah, yeah. It's like everybody else has one of these teams. I guess we should have one too. Right. But it's like they didn't have somebody scheduling matches against other teams. I don't know if this stemmed from like a complete lack of money or just apathy towards the program maybe um but the fact was there was very little happening with the national team and the women's national team didn't exist yet. Yeah, yeah so you just have a men's national team and they're playing a game a year kind of thing they haven't qualified for the world cup since 1950 so it's been over 30 years yeah they may as well just not even exist at this point pretty much in 1984 however the United States Soccer Federation was holding one of its regularly scheduled elections for its board and staff. And at the time, the Federation was based in New York City. They had a small office in the Empire State Building. New York City, of course, being Blazer's hometown and the place where he was only living a short drive north of. Blazer did two things. First, he managed to get the United States Soccer Federation to hold its annual meeting on Eastern New York State Soccer Association premises. Nice. A.K.A. where he worked. Yeah. And then 
He put his name in for USSF vice president. Heck yeah. But he didn't just put his name in for vice president. He got Pele to endorse him. Oh, what? How did he do this? Yeah. Nobody knows. Okay. Like, I tried to find this really, really hard. Because I'm like, there's got to be something. Like, there's got to be something out there. It's literally just articles and articles and articles that are just saying, somehow, he got Pele to endorse him for... Like, Pele came out and made a statement. Yes. And like, it was definitely Pele. It wasn't like a yes. forgery of any kind. <laughs> it was just... It was like Pele showed up. What the heck? And said, hey, vote for this guy for vice president. He probably, like, handed him some cash. Like a fat stack. Or something. There had to be something. But it was... But it was completely... He was... This guy was running a regional youth soccer association when soccer didn't matter and he got pele to endorse him yeah there's got to be dirty money in there somewhere i don't know he what definitely bribed there. him had to be there's there's maybe some some skeletons in the closet some bodies at the bottom of the river but either way pele endorsed this guy okay and is it is probably the great mystery because we know everything else that happened but it is the defining mystery and kind of the genesis moment for what Chuck Blazer would become. Okay. Is Pele endorsing him for USSF vice president. A guy that has no background in the sport, doesn't even seem to like the sport, becomes a youth coach, and then an administrator. And less than a decade later, he has the greatest player in the world campaigning for him to become the second most powerful person in USSF. Because, yeah... He totally won that election. If you're yeah. an American, you're like, yeah, I'm listening to Pele. Yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah. Pele is soccer. This at was that also point. this was also the time when Pele was in the NASL. He was oh, in New York. He was playing for the Cosmos. Cosmos. So it was this weird time when soccer had kind of become this huge fad, and the NASL was getting like seventy thousand people to games to come watch the Cosmos and the Tampa Bay Rowdies and the yeah. Portland Timbers and Seattle Sounders and all these other NASL teams from way back when. Yeah. Um, but the game hadn't caught up in popularity of like people playing it as of yet. Yeah. So you have USSF, who doesn't seem to be knowing what they're doing at all. Uh-huh. And Pele says, hey, you should hire this guy. And so USSF said, Yeah. All right. Yeah, we're gonna hire this guy. I guess <laughs> that, that, is, that is absolutely. There's what only we're one thing do. we can do at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and he, Chuck, had an eye for how to turn a vice president position in a federation with no money into some serious cash. You have made it to the housekeeping section of the podcast. Yeah, housekeeping. And since we have already played the little pre-roll that Blue Wire has given us at the beginning of the podcast, there is no actual ad to be read by us in this podcast for another company. So we're going to read an ad for ourselves. Yeah, and you get to listen to our sweet, sweet voices for a little bit longer. Mm, Sultry, like satin sheets on your calves (laughs) (laughs) calves <laughs> <laughs> the the greatest place for any type of fabric to, mm-hmm. to rub on your body crushed velvet uh velour silk yeah um, high high thread count 
silk sheets. So a a woman by the name of Christina Whitaker Snavely. Hmm. Weird. I don't know if I've heard of her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but she left a really nice review. Wow, that's so nice she, of her. Uh, she said, a deep love for the game shines through the fun and quirky storytelling of little known to most of us moments in the history of soccer. Wow. You know, that's so nice of Christina Whitaker Snavely, a person who shares literally two of my names, uh, to write about us complete strangers to her. Yes. Yes. It is awesome that she took the time uh, to support the pod for, I mean, she doesn't have any reason to. Yeah, completely altruistic reasons and not because she has some deep, irrevocable bond of blood to both of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not. It's not like she's our mom. Yeah, yeah, not at all. Anything like that. Oh. Okay, maybe she she's is. our mom. She's, she's our mom. mom. She's, she's definitely totally definitely our mom. And our mom thinks that you should listen to the podcast. So listen to so it. Listen to it. Yeah. Thanks, uh, mom. Thanks. Thank you, mom. Love, love you. you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, we also have uh, some merch that is still up for sale at our Teespring store. I know we've talked about that before, and the link to our Teespring store will be in uh, the description to this episode of the podcast, as it is in all the episodes of all of our podcasts. But just to remind you guys of what's up there, we've got the shirt that Drew is currently wearing, the Loudmouth long sleeve t-shirt. My which, personal favorite. Uh, Deadball Brothers, like a little graphic script running in a little repeat. He's counting how many there are. 11, 11 of them. Dead Ball Brothers. Yeah, 11 of them. Yeah. It was a completely arbitrary number that I just made up when I was making the graphic. 11 was my number playing soccer. Sick. Growing up, so. 13 was my number. Yeah. So. Unlucky. Uh, I made it. To some cultures. I made it lucky. I don't know. Lucky to others. We also have uh, the Bonehead Tees, which features our skull graphic on the back with Duo Stolti, a.k.a. Two Idiots, in Latin on the front. Um, there is the scatterbrain, which is a little kind of zany take on the, the skull logo, um, and a little Japanese, uh, graphic on the front that means to apologize because we do it so much. <laughs> uh, we have hoodies and t-shirts that are the name of the podcast, which have the dead ball brothers script with, uh, the skull logo behind it. All of those are available to you on the Teespring store. They look good. They feel good. Um, my friends and people that I know that have gotten them really, really enjoy it, uh, which is cool. We love to see you guys posting pictures of the merch. It feels really kind of surreal, actually, <laughs> that, <Yeah. laughs> that people bought it. Can't believe people want this stuff. Uh, but it's super <laughs> cool. Um, and uh, I'm kind of in the zone where I'm like, oh, maybe some new merch would be good uh, here shortly. Um, so if you have ideas or anything that you particularly want as far as an item of clothing or something like that, um, hit us up, uh, DM us on Twitter or reply to us on Twitter or anything. Uh, send us an email, do whatever you want to do. Uh, but yeah, if you are so inclined, the link will be in the description and drew we've, we've plugged ourselves. Yes, we've, we we've have plugged it. We did a pretty good job. We did a pretty good job of it yeah. too. Yeah. We kept it in the family and now it's time to go back to this story. Thank you so much for listening to us pebble about anything. <laughs> to us dumb, dumb brothers. <laughs> Means so much. <laughs> Let's finish this Let's thing. Let's do it. Let's do it. And we're back. We're so back. For the second half of this podcast. For the second half of the podcast. Adam, 
tell me and tell everybody else about Chuck Blazer. Blaze at 420. I want to say Glazer because it's so close. It is very close. To Blazer. Mm-hmm. So in 1984, Chuck Blazer becomes USSF vice president. In 1984 and 85, a year, I mean in 84, I guess. Just after two years, where both of those years, the United States played one international match each. The United States plays 19 matches. Largely in part to Blazers' insistence and strong-handed tactics, getting them into tournaments and scheduling matches and all that sort of thing. The U.S. would, of course, go on to qualify for the 1990 World Cup, its first World Cup final since 1950, the U.S. women's national team formed for the first time during Blazers' tenure. He also was part of the committee that launched a bid for the U.S. to host the 1994 World Cup, which was ultimately successful and accepted. One of the most important moments in the history of soccer growth in the United States. Chuck Blazer took the bull by the horns. Yeah. He was, he was in it to win it. He lost his re-election bid only two years after he was elected, but he had momentum at this point. He started the American Soccer League. Oh. Or ASL. Yeah. Which is funny because it's also American Sign Language. Yeah. He got 10 teams to pay an entry fee. Here's where the things start getting fishy. Okay. He paid himself a fee of $65,000 a year, which was $15,000 more than the salary cap of each of the teams in the ASL. Nice. So each team had a salary cap for all of their players yeah. of $50,000. Yeah. Chuck paid himself $65,000. Hey, man's got to eat. And, and he did. <laughs> this is also the time period where uh, Chuck's size began to balloon. Ah, oh, very yeah. nice. He quickly resigned less than a year after the league began play, but then just as quickly became president of the Miami ASL franchise and got himself a pay raise, $72,000, and a year living rent-free with his pet dog, whose name was Tango. Tango. A pattern is going to form with these pets, just so you know. Okay. Yep. All named after dances? Not all of them named after dances, no. Okay. (laughs) Attendance was incredibly poor for these events, and the ASL folded after only two seasons. Technically, they merged with another league, but effectively, it was like a fold. Yeah. But Blazer, briefly unemployed, was already on to the next job. A job with CONCACAF, where he had sat on boards during his two years as USSF vice president. Blazer facilitated a move for CONCACAF headquarters to Trump Tower in New York. He also plunged forward with planning intercontinental championships held in the United States, and while attendance wasn't great, CONCACAF's profit increased several times over under Blazer's stewardship. At the time, before he came in and became their kind of head of operations, more or less, they were making... Around, I think the, an estimate that I saw was around $140,000 a year. Okay. And then he came in in the first year, even though the events weren't like incredibly well attended, the first year under him, they made over a million dollars. Wow. So a, That's big, significant. In, a significant increase, even though you think about it now and look at those numbers now and you're like, wow, that sucks. Yeah. yeah <laughs> kind yeah, of yeah. thing. That's not that. But this is, this is back then. You yeah. Know. He essentially bought himself unlimited goodwill with the Confederation. 
He also controlled the CONCACAF books. And he gave himself, according to his contract that he had signed, nearly 10% of every dollar that CONCACAF made. What? This was the genesis of his nickname, Mr. 10%. Okay. (laughs) Very literal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He continued to give himself this 10% cut as CONCACAF's profits continued to increase after the successful 1994 World Cup, and he managed to dodge almost all his taxes on his CONCACAF earnings by paying himself through shell companies set up in tax havens like the Cayman Islands. Wow. Starting to see where this is going. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the fish is smelling worse and worse. Yeah. The more you talk. What's more... CONCACAF had no oversight of what Blazer was doing with the money that they were making, even well into the 1990s and the 2000s. He was taking money that definitely didn't fall under his area of purview with the Federation, and there was no one to say anything about it because literally no one else was looking at the books. Gotcha. There was no contingency plans. No accountability. There was no accountability. Yeah. There was one guy. With the books. And you're just trusting him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a bad idea. Blazer was doing some good things for the federations, such as making the Gold Cup very profitable, which it hadn't really ever been before. And so everyone kind of just turned their eyes. He didn't even have a contract with the federation between 1998 and 2011. Oh, wow. When he resigned. He, his Contract with them ran out, and he kind of just kept working. Huh. And kept going without a contract. Okay. Yeah, that's weird. Because he was the only person working with all the numbers, and he just kept giving himself that 10% cut of everything. It, it, it is, it's mind-boggling how literally everyone just let this guy take all this money. Yeah. Like, it just kept going and going and he just kept I think there was this this sense of this guy grew the game in the United States in ways that nobody else was doing and and was legitimately like there were a couple things that like if Chuck Blazer hadn't come along who knows if soccer would be where it is and there are plenty of people who say it wouldn't be it just flat out wouldn't be yeah and so Everybody just kind of let him, just trusted him. Just just, just completely trusted him. Well, hey, it's not much of an American dream if there's not a little money laundering involved. Oh, my friend, we have not even, <laughs> we have not even cracked the tip of the iceberg. Okay. In 1997, Chuck Blazer was appointed to the FIFA Executive Committee. Yes. So in the span of 13 years... Chuck Blazer went from an administrator of a regional youth soccer association in a country where the sport was completely irrelevant, with no personal background in the game, and where the national team had not competed in the World Cup for 34 years, to one of the most powerful seats you can possibly have in world soccer. Yeah, that's that's the power of having your kids play soccer. <laughs> it could be you. It's like... He had, like, this guy has less credentials than Matt Hill. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, who, that, yeah. Who was, who was our high school soccer coach, <laughs> both of us, in Bath, New York, a town of 6,000 people. Yes. Yeah. And he got named to the FIFA executive committee. Hey, man, that's what happens when you put yourself into a position of power at, like, one of the biggest countries in the world, regardless of, like, whether or not your team's successful or your confederation is successful. Uh, yeah. He treated that job much like the job he had at CONCACAF. Blazer wielded power on the executive committee with his Trinidadian counterpart, Jack Warner. Chuck had met Jack when working with CONCACAF in the 80s. In 1989, after he had left his job with the ASL in Miami, and when he was briefly unemployed, Blazer traveled to Trinidad, ostensibly to watch the U.S. men's national team play Trinidad and Tobago in the match that would send the U.S. to the World Cup for the first time in 40 years. But also to talk to Warner about hashing out a strategy for the future. Blazer urged Warner to run for CONCACAF president. Warner did. And Warner won. And he immediately named Blazer head of CONCACAF's operations and bookkeeping. Oh, yeah. A story for you about Jack Warner. Yeah. Because Chuck Blazer is the, the kind of epicenter of this. But Jack Warner is... Possibly the even more greedy figure yeah. of this story. That game, the game in 1999 when the U.S. beat Trinidad, one uh-huh. nothing. As Paul Calajari scored the goal, it was like the shot heard around the world. I think it was yeah, one, yeah. one of those nicknamed games. Yeah, the stadium in Trinidad that they were hosting the game at. It is alleged. It was never proven. Okay. What was proven is that for the game, approximately 15,000 more tickets were sold than there were seats in the stadium. Okay. So were people like standing up in aisles and stuff or were people just not allowed in the stadium? Well, I mean like they, they squeezed sev- – they squeezed like five to 7,000 more people into the stadium than was capacity. Yeah. But, like, 10,000 people had tickets to the game that didn't see the game. Yeah, that's crazy. That were crazy. just, like, outside. Yeah. And, it like, a legend has it that, like, they had to, like, crowd surf players into the field because it was so jam-packed in all the tunnels and everything with people. What? Yes. That's wild, if true. Now, when you sell out a game, yeah. there is the capacity of the stadium. Uh-huh. Multiply it by whatever you're selling the tickets for. It's a lot of money. That's whatever the money is. Yeah. If you were to sell more tickets than is capacity, well, obviously you can't have that money on the books. Yeah. It's kind of under the table. So they had 15,000 people multiplied by for whatever they sold the tickets for that just. Yeah, the money's gone. Yeah. And where did the money go? Probably to Jack Warner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, literally, these two guys met during a con. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, by pretty cool, I mean pretty horrible. <laughs> it's pretty awful, but yeah, kind yeah, of a baller yeah. move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. That's, it's, yep. It just keeps going. Okay. The two continued on their merry way all the way to FIFA, where they gleefully made money at the expense of others. It was even a point where... 
Blazer was trying to set up this sport betting deal with the German company that owned the rights to the World Cup. Okay. So this German company owned the rights to the World Cup. Chuck Blazer was a FIFA executive member, a.k.a. he was part of the committee that sells the rights to the World Cup. And he's also starting a company with the company that already owned the rights to the World Cup to start a sport betting operation where people could bet on World Cup games through their television sets. Cool. Yeah. That's not great. Drew, you've, you've, you have a business degree. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could say that. Tell me a little thing about conflicts of interest. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, less than ideal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that one was so blatant that actually Sepp Blatter brought it up in a FIFA general wow. meeting and said, it's like, Bladder yes. had to bring it up. Yeah. That's, that's pretty Seth bad. Seth Bladder brought it, brought it up and said, hey, we need more strict rules to prevent people from doing this. Wow. That is not great. Not a great look. Eventually, this all came crashing down on Blazer, yeah. as decades of fraud generally will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The FBI was investigating him, and so Blazer did what anyone would do. He quit his jobs with FIFA and CONCACAF, informed on absolutely everyone he could, and then said that he should be considered for a CEO position at a big company. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Just strong. Confidence, high with this confidence one. You, confidence takes you so far All in this country. All the way up here. It's ridiculous. Especially with Chuck Blazer. Literally, I'll, I can show you a picture of Chuck Blazer after this. He looks like Dirty Santa Claus. <laughs> he had a massive white beard. Okay. He had curly white hair. Yeah. And he was huge. Just... Really, really. And he frequently dressed up as Santa Claus at like Halloween and stuff. Oh, wait, really? Yes. Oh, weird. It was kind of weird. Yeah, that's strange. Yes. <laughs> yes. Dirty Santa. Dirty Santa. I mean, Chuck he's Blazer. just stealing all these presents from all these kids, mm-hmm. stealing, taking everybody's money. Mm-hmm. It's messed up. Now, the FIFA corruption allegations are nothing new. Countries bidding for the World Cup would frequently slip under the table bribes for votes which was welcomed by tiny nations without much money or sway, like minnows in the Pacific, the Caribbean, Africa, Asia, even Europe. Yeah. Luxembourg and Liechtenstein. Yeah. Wherever all of these countries who have the same exact voting power as people like Germany or Brazil. Yes. Because one country is one vote. Yeah. Which is kind of the the story of how Sepp Blatter rose to power. Because for, for forever, it was kind of like, well, you have to get in with the, the people that are the powerful nations in soccer. Uh-huh. And Seb Blatter realized, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have to please those people at all. Yeah. You have to promise the tiny countries that all have the same power and that there are many more tiny countries that are bad at soccer than there are big countries that are good at soccer. Yeah. And you have to promise them money and them stuff. Yeah. And that's how you get votes. Corruption, lying, cheating. Corruption, baby. Everything you don't want to see in the beautiful game. Corruption and the beautiful game go hand in hand. I know, but it's so sad. (laughs) Now, in one of the most flagrant examples of this FIFA corruption, uh, Blazer revealed that Qatari national Mohammed bin Hammam gave $40,000 in cash each to a large group of Caribbean FIFA delegates 
in exchange for their votes in making him FIFA president. Yeah. Which Jack Warner then urged the fellow delegates to go along with. Yeah. You might recall this. This is when Mohammed bin Hammam was uh-huh. then subsequently kicked out of FIFA. Yeah. There was a this is this was all the, the the period of these things being revealed. Yeah, Chuck Blazer was the whistleblower. Yeah, and I put that in quotations because typically when we think whistleblower, whistleblowers don't have something to gain. Yeah, usually and almost everything to lose. Uh huh. Chuck Blazer was whistleblowing because he was trying to save his own ass, and he did. Yeah, I mean, kind of. Yeah. Basically, he got the best deal out of almost everybody because he was the first to turn. And when you're the first to turn, it's usually the person that gets the best plea deals, Listen, all that sort of thing. We've seen enough crime movies and TV shows and listened to enough crime podcasts to know the first person to speak up gets the best deal. Yes. It's Crime 101. Crime 101, baby. <laughs> Don't do crime. Don't but do crime. if you crime. do a crime... You should come clean. Be the coward first. <laughs> and then get really, really good witness protection program stuff. Yeah. Because people are probably coming for you. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I don't think Takashi 69 is lasting this whole year. Oh, uh, gosh. I just don't like talking about people dying. So we can That's move fair. on from this. Perhaps the pair's most brazen and despicable bit of illegal activity came in 2004. When the host of the 2010 World Cup was being decided. Morocco, Egypt, and South Africa were all in the running. And as was customary with all things FIFA, Blazer and Warner were not above bribes. They accepted $10 million from South Africa for their vote in hosting the World Cup. Yeah. But that wasn't enough. Yeah. They also demanded that Nelson Mandela, who was 85 at the time, appear in the Caribbean... Despite Mandela's doctors advising him against flying because he was very old, and very frail, and very susceptible to disease at the time. Yeah. Mandela still went, and his arrival was widely publicized. There was crowds and crowds of people trying to see Nelson Mandela. Uh-huh. But Mandela was too weak to even climb a podium erected for him to address the crowd at his arrival. Yeah. He was trying to keep the whole thing low key and they just told everybody. everybody. Yeah. But they did get Nelson Mandela to Trinidad. It sucks though. South Africa won the vote to host the 2010 World Cup two weeks later. Yeah. A picture with Nelson Mandela and Chuck Blazer's soap opera actress girlfriend, which, fun fact, he was dating a middle aged woman from a soap opera. Which soap opera do you know? Uh, I believe she was in Days of Our Lives. Oh, wow. Fun Good facts. for her. Good for her. Way to go. Um, is the header picture on Chuck Blazer's blog, which is still live on the internet. You oh. can find it. Weird. Yeah, he had a blog of like his travels. Yeah, and yeah, he, yeah, yeah. His last post, I believe, was 2004. No, no, no. 2016. 2016. Okay. Uh, 2016 Summer Olympics. I'm pretty sure. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Uh, Blazer had left an indelible mark on soccer in the United States as the sport went from an oddity and fad 
from the 70s and early 80s into a bonafide sport looking to challenge America's traditional sports powers. But he also did it to get rich. And he did get rich. Yeah. Rich, rich. Largely with money that he was not legally entitled to. Here's a list of other things that Blazer spent money for directly from CONCACAF or other people's books that I didn't weave into the story directly, but it's just a list of stuff. Yeah. He paid for the mortgage of a friend who was specifically tasked with the care of a blue macaw that Blazer owned named Max. So he had a pet bird. Yeah. And his friend took care of it most of the time, and he paid that guy's mortgage via CONCACAF's books. Say, hey, man, you look after my bird, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I'm going to look after you. He footed the bill for Sunil Gelati's office spaces with CONCACAF. Huh. So okay. Sunil Gelati was actually involved, a friend yeah. of Chuck Blazer's and worked with him closely yeah. for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, the article I said I read said Sunil Gelati did not respond to a request for this article. I yeah. Said, mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, it does. Imagine that. <laughs> An $18,000 a month luxury apartment on the 49th floor of Trump Tower where he lived with his girlfriend. And, and this is, this is the famous bit. This is the bit that a lot of people know. An adjoining $6,000 a month apartment Solely for his horde of cats. Ah, weird. He had a $6,000 a month apartment just for his cats who became borderline feral because they were basically just living alone as a pack of cats in an apartment on the 49th floor of Trump Tower. Oh, man. Just a bunch of feral cats. He just had an apartment for his cats. And that's it. If you take away my AR-15, what am I supposed to do with all these feral cats? He, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) He had a timeshare for at least two years at the Atlantis Resort in the Bahamas that he placed on the CONCACAF books before somebody found it and he like quickly switched it to one of his shell companies. Yeah. He loved Atlantis Resort. He went there almost every summer. We should go sometime. Check it out. Yeah, when we have for research yes for research purposes chuck blazer went down this water slide (laughs) chuck blazer swam with these sharks Uh, gosh he had a small fleet of mobility scooters to help him get around because his weight had ballooned so much um he had Concacaf purchase him a forty-eight thousand dollar hummer for travel around new york city and an additional, in total, when he owned it, uh, they spent $21,600 just for parking it. Wow. In a parking garage. Wow. Can you think of a less good car to drive in New York City than a Hummer? And it wasn't the small Hummer. It wasn't the H3. It was the H2. It was the yeah, yeah, gigantic yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, and the last thing isn't technically something he bought. I just had to include it in the story, and I couldn't find another place for it. Uh-huh. Um, he became friends with Vladimir Putin. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> nice. And Putin asked if he could post some of his own personal travel photos on Chuck Blazer's blog. Wow. So the blog must have been a pretty big thing, huh? The blog. I mean, Yeah. Here's the thing. Chuck Blazer met Putin when he was in Russia 
to meet with Russia about the 2018 World Cup, which Russia had put in a bid for. Yeah. Everybody expected Chuck Blazer to vote for England because England also had put in for the 2018 World Cup. Yeah. And about four months before the vote and a couple months after he visited Russia and talked to his now friend Vladimir Putin, yeah, Blazer changed his vote. Yeah, they probably just had a conversation just about a discussion life and, and, and nothing else. And soccer and the advancement of the game and not like... Uh, riding horses without a shirt on. Yeah. And that sort of thing. No money involved, really. Just bro stuff. Yeah. Just, just some normal dude things. Just a couple of guys being bros. Yeah. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. <laughs> uh, Blazer tried to inform on everyone he could to avoid investigation himself, but of course, when that happened, everyone he informed on also informed on him. Yeah. It is therefore important to beat everyone to the punch as best as one can. He was served a lifetime ban from the sport by FIFA, and domestically, he pled guilty to racketeering, wire fraud, income tax evasion over a period of 10 years. He didn't pay any taxes for 10 years. And money laundering in 2015. This was part of a plea deal that included him wearing a wire for a couple of years and recording various conversations he had with FIFA officials that led to 18 indictments against various FIFA officials. Wow. He was not sentenced immediately because the co-defendants in his case decided to go to trial. He had already made a guilty plea deal, so uh-huh. he was already done. As part of the deal, he agreed to pay back more than $11 million in taxes owed. And that's a lot of money. That's so much money. Yeah. I can't even conceive. Yeah. And that decision would mean Chuck Blazer was never actually sentenced. He was already ailing at the time of this investigation from colon cancer, diabetes, and coronary heart disease. Wow, the trifecta. <laughs> God, oh man, uh, the triforce <laughs> of disease. Yeah, yeah. Oof, it's not. It's not a good. That's not a good combo. It's not a good combo. You don't want to have that. Mm-mm. No. His large life and larger lifestyle having caught up with him. Chuck Blazer died July twelfth, two thousand seventeen, at the age of seventy two, the day before my birthday. <laughs> Why did you add that? I don't know. I just realized that. I was like July 12th. I was like, oh, my birthday is July 15th. Oh, look at that. Hey, man. I mean, if you're going to be a criminal and do all that illegal stuff, you might as well ball out and, and spend the money while you can. Oh, Chuck it, Blazer if, balled out of control. If you're not going to, then what's the point of everything? Maybe what, what, to feel alive? What's even I the point? Know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that is the story of Chuck Blazer, Mr. 10%. Yeah. American soccer's dirty Santa Claus. Yeah. At least he, like, outed all the other corrupt FIFA He did. Members. He did it to save his own skin, but yeah. he did do it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, obviously had selfish intentions, but yeah. ultimately <laughs> oh, yeah. it's kind of a good thing that a lot of people are are out of that. It was one of the things that led to, do you remember, um, do you remember the thing where uh, after FIFA announced that the 2020 World Cup was going to be in Qatar. Um, the Onion ran some article about, like, the United States quickly announces 2015 World Cup in the United States. Games begin tomorrow or something like that. <laughs> and Jack Warner 
thought it was a real article. Oh my god! And posted this video. He's like, "You say FIFA is the bad people, then why does the United States want the World Cup now? Why are they putting on this fake World Cup?" <laughs> he thought it was a real thing. Oh man, that's uh, always the best when an old person just doesn't get oh, a oh, joke and did, did not understand it at all. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, well, Jack, I, I, Jack Warner. I don't even know if it's because Jack Warner is older. I, Jack Warner kind of started becoming a little mentally unstable. It felt like. Uh, uh, yeah, that dude's super messed up. Arguably more messed up than Chuck Blazer. Yeah. Uh, if you have if you have any time, go look at uh, some some Jack Warner things because they yeah. are something. Let me tell you. Hey, we're not here to to argue who's the lesser of who's the lesser evil of the two. Yeah. Um, some sources for you for the for the story. Um, Ken Bensinger for BuzzFeed uh, is a really really big one. He wrote a really good article, long form piece on Chuck Blazer. Also, uh, Mary Poppenfuss, Poppenfuss, sure, and Terry Thompson in their book American Huckster, which is about Chuck Blazer. Uh, Kim McCauley for SB Nation and Houston Mitchell for the LA Times were my major sources for all this stuff. Awesome, yeah, that was a good story. Good. Was, I'm yeah. glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm surprised that you didn't know it. Well, yeah, I remember when all like all the FIFA people were yeah getting accused of all these different things, and mm-hmm. there was a mass accident, uh, exodus of um, just corrupt leaders leaving FIFA. But yeah, I guess I didn't really wasn't following it that closely. Yeah, Chuck Blazer kicked Chuck out Blazer. all uh, all that off. I vaguely remember an old American guy that had no idea how to play soccer. Yeah. I came across this one quote about him that was like I could tell he had no real passion for the game. He was what I would affectionately refer to as a suit. Ah. Uh, I was yeah. like, mm, true. Just wanted that money. But yeah, money, no. Money, money, money. A very important piece of American and world soccer history. Yeah. So, totally. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you, listener, for listening to this story and for listening to Deadball Brothers and continuing to support us. We really, really appreciate it. As always, if you have not done it yet, I know a lot of our listeners have, but if you have not done it yet, I know that we, what, what are we averaging? Like 150-ish downloads an episode? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah, yeah. So right now we have 40 ratings on Apple Podcasts where most people get their podcasts. And if we could bump that up, say, to 80 ratings or something of that nature... That would be doubling it. That would be doubling it. And it would help our podcast a lot. Because when you rate, when you leave good reviews, that tells the algorithm more people should see this. And if more people are seeing it, then we are doing better. More people are seeing our stuff. Our content keeps being made. We get the opportunity to create more content. Um, so, as always, we super super appreciate your support thus far. If you have already left a rating or a review, thank you so much. If you have not, please consider leaving us a rating or review because it does really help us. Another way you can help us out is just telling a friend. If you enjoy listening yeah. to us, listening to our stories, uh, let them know about us. We're just a couple guys that love talking about soccer. Yeah. Brothers, actually. Uh, yeah. Not just normal guys. Related. We, we yeah. Blood, really. Um, and we're just having fun with it, but we would love to continue doing it. So, yeah, um, absolutely. And we both, I mean, we both have jobs, multiple. I, I mean, I, I have multiple other jobs. Drew has a full time job outside of this. I have 
at times three other jobs outside of this. Um, so like this is this is purely still like very much a passion project for us. We would love to turn it into something more than that, but right now that is where it is. If we want to turn it into something more than that, it's gonna take your help and and the help of anybody that you know, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, just this week you were on uh, your friend's fantasy soccer podcast, yep. and there was a little discussion happening in the comments, like, "Oh, what's their what's their handle?" And so the people like, I just saw a couple of people that were like, "Oh yeah, I, I subscribed. Like yeah. it's in the queue for tomorrow or whatever," which is really really cool. I think that, and that's that's awesome to see. Um, yeah. So as always, if you want to follow us, we're at Deadball Pod everywhere. You probably already know that if you're listening, but in case you didn't. At Deadball Pod, we're most active on Twitter, but we're also on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to email us, we're at our deadballpod at gmail.com. Um, if you want to follow me personally, I'm at Snaves, S N A V E S. If you want to follow Drew, he's at Drew, Sna- Drew underscore Snavely on Twitter for our various thoughts and grievances with our favorite teams, which there are usually a lot. Yes. There's a lot of grievances. Yeah. It's like molten hot. Poop. Oh no. <laughs> Jeez. Pooping on Manchester why United. Was that the, why was that the choice? I don't know why. Why? I just, I'm kind of. I almost regret it, but I don't live life with regrets. Drew, we're in a podcast network now. No I'm gonna regrets. need you to keep this professional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah just a steaming pile of crap <laughs> on Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get out of here. As always, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and we will see you guys in one week. Bye, Bye. Bye now.